So I was at 7-Eleven one day, it was late at night, and I went to buy some food for me in Brooklyn, some late night snacks. And I exit the door of 7-Eleven and this homeless guy walks up to me. It's two homeless guys and they start looking at me. And the one guy says, hey, I think I know you. And I was like, no, I don't, I don't think you know me. And I'm like trying to walk to my car and the one guy's like, no, I, I think I know you. And the, guy, the other guy next to me was like, yeah, I think he knows you. And I'm like, no, 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 I need to go. And then the second homeless guy looked at me dead in the eye and he said, you're the guy. But what I heard, what my brain told me he said was, you're going to die. <laughs> That's what I heard in that moment, and it was terrifying. And the whole point of that is misunderstandings can be awful. Um, they can lead you to do stupid things or believe stupid things. When it comes to the Bible, uh, misunderstandings about the Bible totally abound. They're all over the place. Today, we're going to read a passage that deals with women, men, and family. You guys aren't married yet. Except for Scott and Amanda, and then me and Brooklyn, and I think that's all the married people. Wesley's married! This is my friend Wesley from Bible College, and she's, she is a monkey, I guess? That's amazing. You guys aren't husbands and wives yet for the most part, but you will be for the most part. Some of you won't. Um, sometimes God calls people to that. But for the most part, I mean, many of you guys may get married. So this is a good lesson to prepare, okay? So let's take a look at it. These are some verses that can be a little controversial. So 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives. When they observe your chaste conduct, accompanied by fear, do not let your adornment be merely outward, like the arranging of the hair, the wearing of gold, putting on fine clothes. Rather, let it be the hidden person of the heart with the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this manner, in former times, the holy women who trusted in God also adorned themselves, being submissive to their own husbands. As Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him to the Lord, um, or calling him Lord. Sarah called, literally called Abraham Lord whose daughters you are if you do good and are not afraid with any terror. So right away, reading these verses, um, I read them and I'm like, what on earth? Like, what, is, what do these verses mean? Um, sometimes when you're reading something that's like from just this old context, it's hard to kind of transport it to our own context modernly and really understand what's going on. Um, so I think... Kind of like how you guys are doing in your Bible study at school. You know how you guys are asking questions. I decided to break this Bible study up into a series of questions that we'll ask and then answer. So the first question, when I read this whole thing about just, you know, submit, wives submit to the husbands, the question I want to ask is what does it not mean to be submissive? Like what is, I've, I want to know what these verses mean, but first of all, I want to talk about what these verses don't mean. When the verse comes up, wives submit to husbands, I mean, how many of you guys hear the word like submit and you get warm, fuzzy feelings? Anybody? Does anyone get like happy about that word? Um, I think a lot of times when, oh yeah, okay, uh, James has some weird, I don't know what's going on, uh, but when I think of the word submit, you know, I get this, I get this view of kind of like, you know, an old guy with a big beard, this, you know, Jewish Pharisee type guy, and he's looking at his wife, and he's like, woman, 
you have to submit to me. And that's kind of the, the idea I get. And I think it's easy to read these verses kind of in the most like sexist way possible. Like it's easy to kind of read it with that view. Like you can literally read those verses and you can read it like this. This isn't the right way to read it, but you can literally, if you want, read these verses and you can interpret it weirdly like this. You can kind of read it like, women, listen up. Do whatever your husband says. Even if your husband's a jerk, your life revolves around being his slave. Women should talk less. Please your husband without a word. Keep silent. Obey. Be submissive and fear your husband. Don't spend all your time getting new outfits and doing your hair. Be like the women of the Bible who knew how to obey their husbands. Call your husband Lord and Master like Sarah in the Bible did. You're an accessory to men. Don't ask questions. Don't speak up. Just do what you're told. It's really easy to read those verses. And, and the sad thing is many people in the church have taken those verses that way. They've taken it so extremely in that direction where there's some preachers and pastors who teach the people in their church that basically women are just supposed to be seen and not heard. Basically, God made Adam. Adam was gray. Adam was everything God intended for man. And then God was like, oh, Adam needs an accessory. He needs, you know, somebody who's just going to be his arm candy and hang out with him. And, and it, women was kind of just like the backup plan. That's how some people kind of think of it. I want to be really clear with you guys. The Bible does not teach that men are better than women. The Bible does not teach that men are the boss of women. In the same way, the Bible does not teach that women are better than men or that women are the boss of men. Um, the Bible doesn't teach that women have no value. The Bible doesn't teach that women should be seen, not heard. And the Bible doesn't teach that women are, all, their only value is their appearance. So we have to like find out what does the Bible actually say? I want to go back to page one of the Bible, Genesis chapter one. In verse 26 through 28, this is what, I'm just gonna paraphrase, but God spoke and God said, let us create human beings in our nature, reflecting us, our image. And I'm gonna make them responsible for the world. I'm gonna give them a mission. I'm gonna give them purpose. They will rule over it. Animals, plants, life, gardens, cities, all these things. So God makes humans and the verse says, in his image, God made them male and female. Now, if you think about it, did you catch that? God creates the whole idea of male and female before even Eve shows up on the picture. So Eve wasn't an afterthought. It wasn't God created Adam and then all of a sudden he's like, oh, Adam's lonely. I, oh, I, you know, I mean, if you think about it, God made female animals for all of the other animals. He knew everything. It wasn't like he just randomly thought of the idea and Eve was just this extra addition, throwaway bonus thing. God knew all along exactly what he's going to do. This should be exciting for, for the girls in the room to know that you are made in God's image and his nature. Now, I mean, I believe the Bible refers to God as male. He refers to God as the father. It's not mother God or anything like that. God has a fatherly nature. But what I also believe is that Men and women equally reflect different parts of God's nature. I see things in my wife that I don't have, different attributes and different personality traits and different ways that she's compassionate and she's sweet. I'm gonna be, talk I'm gonna be talking about you a lot tonight. I see things in her that are just amazing and they're things that are a part of God's nature. Her compassion, her kindness, her sweetness, her hospitality, the way that she loves other people. God has given her those things because that is a part of who he is. So girls, be, be excited about that. What does it mean to be submissive? That's, that's the question. 
to submit to your husband. Uh, maybe you guys have even heard that growing up. You know, you, you've heard from women or men in your life. You know, you went, girls, you're going to have to learn to submit one day. The Bible does say it, so we're not just going to throw it out. We have to like kind of dig deep and find out what does it actually mean. So, I want you all to repeat a word after me. It's a Greek word. Thank you. Uh, the word is. I'll let James start. It's hapotasso. Hapotasso. Has anyone ever heard of hapotasso? Okay. So, hapotasso. It's a great word. It's a Greek word. It means basically to put yourself under someone or something else. So you're taking someone and you're saying, they're above me. I'm going to put myself under them. And it goes to obedience out of love. So think about it. God is the first person who ever asked anyone to hapatasso. Um, he puts Adam and Eve in the garden and he says, hey guys, I'm giving you responsibility. I'm giving you things to do. Take care of the animals, take care of the garden, be my subjects. I'm king, I'm going to put myself above you and I'm asking you to put yourself below me. Not like you pathetic servants, I'm your king, but just I am the leader and I am putting you directly underneath me so that we can serve together. God says, I'm king, and if you put yourself under my rule, you're, you're going to prosper. You're going to do well. What did we learn at camp? What's the saying? If Jesus is king, that changes everything. God, good. Some of you guys got it. Let's say it again. If Jesus is king, that changes everything. So I love that idea because if you're, if you're under the king, anytime you look up, if you're, if you're under the king and the king is above you, anytime you look up, you see him. So as you're going through life, you look up and you see the king and you see what he's doing and you see what he's about. Uh, for me in Brooklyn, we live our lives. I mean, sure, we're in ministry, but even if we weren't, no matter what we do, whether we're pastors or whether I was still doing graphic design or whether I worked at a school as a teacher, we could look up and see what is God doing? We want to follow him. For Scott and Amanda, they're photographers, but for them, they always are able to look up and see what is God doing? What is God calling us to? We want to follow him. So Adam and Eve did this for a while, but there was a moment where they made a decision to stop having God be above them and they put themselves above God. Who knows what was that moment? The fall of man. So when Adam and Eve decided to listen to the snake and eat that fruit, they're literally saying, I am putting my desire, what I want, above God and what he wants. So what does this mean? How does this relate to wives? Well, for all the girls in the room, I want to encourage you. First, before you're a girl, before you're a woman, before you're a wife, before you're a photographer or a student or whatever you are, you are a follower of Jesus first. Does that make sense? Yeah? So for you, submission, first of all, means that above everything else in your life, Jesus is the one that you look to. He's the one that you say, he's my master. He is my Lord. I put myself under his rule. No matter who you are, no matter what you are in this room, no matter what your job is, Jesus is your master. So why does God say submit to husbands? I think there's two answers to that. And I want to explain this as best I can, because this is something that God says in his word. And I want to explain it in a way that makes sense that you guys can carry into your future marriages. So one what is God's, one of God's biggest priorities for his humans? Does anyone know? One of God's biggest priorities. I'll give you guys a setup. Jesus says, they will know you are my disciples by your blank for one another. Love. love. Great. Okay. So love one another. And what kind of love is God talking about? In Philippians 2, 3, 
God says, do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourself. When Jesus, when they asked Jesus, what's the greatest command? Jesus said, love God first and love others more than you love yourself. So do you see? Are you with me? Jesus is saying one of the greatest things you can do to fulfill your purpose as a human is to love God and love others as yourself. And so for husbands and wives, there's different ways that God commands us to carry that idea into our marriage relationships. For the wife, God says, if you want to be like me, Jesus, I I think even right now, Jesus through his spirit would want to speak to you girls. I mean, I'm not going to make you raise your hand and say who wants to be married, but I think it's probably a lot of you. One day you want to be married. Maybe you've been dreaming of that day since you're a little girl, the wedding dress, and you're going to have a man to do the photography, and it's going to be amazing, and all this stuff. Well, I think Jesus would say, if you want to be like me, when you become a bride, love the guy you marry more than you love yourself. Think of him and his needs more than your own. Treat him with respect. The respect that you want others to treat you with, treat him that way and follow him as he follows Jesus. So submitting, it's not God saying men are better than women and women need to know their place as a lot of people make it sound. It's God giving women a beautiful opportunity to be more like Jesus. Are you with me? Does that make sense? Yeah, okay. Here's the second thing. The second reason I think God tells the girls in the world to submit is because God is all about pictures. And God calls the church, what does he say? The church is the, what, the blank of Christ? The bride, the bride of Christ. He calls the church his wife. Now, I'm a part of the church, so I'm actually a husband and a wife, which is weird. Um, I, and, and if you're a dude, you are currently married. If you follow Jesus, you are the bride of Christ. Um, it's kind of weird. Uh, don't think about it too much. Don't start wearing dresses, please. Don't. Um, but that's us, okay? So in our marriage to God, we are called to follow him, to listen to him, to respect him, and to obey him. When It's not that God, like, I don't know about you, but I don't pray and God isn't like, Aaron, this is what I say to do. And if you don't do it, I'm gonna mess you up, man. Like, that's not, if, if that's what your relationship with God looks like, like, please talk to me because I don't know if that's the Lord you're talking to. Um, but God kindly and gently leads me to follow him. Uh, He speaks to me through his word. I go to him. I ask him questions. I seek him. He tells me things. He leads me. He guides me. And and it's a picture of what God wants to do in marriages between husbands and wives. When God created human marriages, he created it as a picture of something bigger. He created it as a reflection. So for the man in the relationship, he is an amazing reflection of God. God is considered the husband. So for a man, it's a responsibility to be a reflection of that. The woman is a beautiful reflection of the church, God's wife. Now, some men use this to act like God in their marriage. Some men literally take this verse to go, I am the ruler. And, you know, just like God is the ruler, like I'm the God of this house and do whatever I say. Now, I didn't grow up in a house like that, but maybe you did. I don't know. I don't know all your guys' situations. Maybe you know somebody or maybe you had family members who treated their wives that way. They, they ruled over them with an iron fist. I know in different times of American history, even, I literally went in Google and I just typed in the word uh, wives submit and I just, I went to see what came up and there's all of these like horrible like, like advertisements from ads in the 50s where like literally men are bending their wives over their knee and like hitting them because they changed the coffee brand and women need to know their place and all of this stuff. Now you guys don't grow up in that world, but things still can 
go that way. You, you can still be swayed to think that that's the way even biblically it's supposed to be. Well, think about it. What does God actually do in his marriage? He loves for his bride, for his church. Does he abuse them? Does he boss them around? Does he order them to do things? No, he, he, he gives them commands because he loves them, but he sacrifices for them. He actually dies for them. He lays down everything for their good and for their well-being, and he gently, kindly leads them. For the guys in this room, I want you to know, men, we are called to die daily for our wives. One day you'll be married, hopefully, and, and, and God would call you to die daily to yourself. For a woman, she is to honor God above all. She's to have a love, relationship, friendship. If, if you're here today, if you're a girl here today, if, and you feel like you don't really have a love, friendship, relationship with God, if you feel like it's just you go to church and hear Bible studies and then that's just it, I want to challenge you, get that right. Have that relationship with him. It's a free gift. He died on the cross so that you can have. And your life will not start on the right track until you have that. And it's so easy to get. It's just, it's not, oh man, I gotta read my Bible 20 times a week and I've gotta just get up at five and whatever. It's, it's just however God's spirit calls you to spend time with him, it's just you responding to that. So for a woman, she's to honor God above all, just like for a man, he's to do that. But some men think of it as them in that recliner, sitting back, cracking the whip at their wife. You, you need to submit, go make me a sandwich or whatever. You know? I mean, yeah, we laugh because we hear it. You know, Woman, go make me a sandwich. But really, it's a, it's a horrible idea of just men abusing that authority that they're given. That's not what it's, it's called to look like. This is what it should look like. Think about it this way, okay? It's not the man behind the woman cracking the whip saying, do what I say. It's God in the front leading the man is right behind God following him and then he's holding the hand of his wife and she's right behind him and they're following after Jesus. That's what it's to look like. That's what it's to look like. I think of a, a beautiful example of this because I want to put this like in really practically, okay? How many of you guys remember Oli? Oli Turley, yeah? He was the assistant junior high pastor back in the day. So I remember Oli was telling me a story of how God called him to go to India. He said, Oli, you're gonna go on this mission trip to India, and India's gnarly, like it's, there's diseases, there's people with horrible sicknesses, I mean, pigs are running around the street eating people's crap that they dropped in the street, like it's just, it's, it's gnarly, it's messy, it's crazy. So Oli tells his wife, Sarah, he says, Sarah, I think God is calling us to go to India to be missionaries. Sarah's response wasn't just, yes, I submit, whatever you want, like, just, she actually responded, wow, I really don't like that idea. That sounds like a terrible idea. Like, I would be really uncomfortable going to India. That just kind of throws off everything I had for our life and, and all that stuff. But then what she said was, but if that's what God is calling you to do, then I'll do it. What, that's amazing. That, that's, that's what it looks like to submit. To, it's, it's a humble, it's, it's following Jesus first and saying, I trust Jesus before I trust myself. Now, here's where it gets even better, which I think is an even greater picture of all of this, the way this is supposed to look like. Instead of Oli listening to Sarah and going, yeah, that's right, you gotta listen to me. What he said after that was, you know what? Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this is just my emotions. Maybe this is just, maybe God's leading you to tell me this. You know what? Together, let's pray. Let's take, let's take a month. Let's pray together and let's make sure that our hearts get on the same page before we do anything. Which, and he did I mean, that's, 
That's so cool that he did that. So they took the time, they prayed. At the end of it, they got back together and God had led them both to do it. And they both decided to go. And it was an amazing missions trip and it changed people's lives and sick people got healed and people got saved. It was so cool. And I just think it's such a great picture of what that's, that relationship is supposed to look like. It's not bossing people around. It's realizing God has a leadership system, but it's not abusing that. It's caring about your wife enough to say, let's take time, let's pray. I'm gonna think about your needs. I'm gonna think about you as well. So let's move on. Third question, is Peter saying girls shouldn't care about their appearance? Because there's a verse down there, if you guys listen, he said, hey, girls, don't worry too much about your outward appearance. Don't worry about doing your hair, putting on gold earrings. Don't worry about getting all the fine clothes. Is Peter saying girls shouldn't care about their appearance? I would say, if you look at the text, no, he's not saying that. Beauty's from God, and all women are beautiful, regardless of cultural definitions of beauty. Some girls, you know, you, you, you're growing up in a culture where there's kind of a template that says, you know, hey, this month, everyone's curling their hair. So if you want to be beautiful, you got to curl your hair. Or, hey, this is the makeup. Or, hey, this is what people look like. This is what people on the YouTube videos look like. This is what the the best girls on Instagram look like. So if you want to be beautiful, you have to conform to this look or this standard. But I think that regardless of any of those definitions of beauty, God really truly has made everyone beautiful. And he wants all of you guys to realize that beauty in his eyes, the way you look to him. When Eve was made, Adam looked at Eve and he sang the first song. He bursts out into this song of just, man, here's this woman. God took her from my flesh and made her. Now she completes me. It's, it's, just, it's this beautiful thing. There's nothing wrong with outer beauty unless it becomes an obsession. Unless it becomes the focus, and even for dudes, this can be a thing nowadays. We live in, the word is metrosexual. It's just, just yeah, it's a real word. It's, it's where guys obsess over their appearance, their hair. I know some guys who have 20 pairs of shoes, and they'll spend hours on their hair, and it's just, it's all about fashion and all that stuff. I'm not saying it's wrong to want to look good, but it can become an obsession. It can become consuming. The world also says it's not about beauty. The world says it's about sexiness, which means it's about sexual desire. It's, about, uh, it's not just about like, oh, God made me beautiful and I'm gonna wear makeup that accentuates you know, my natural beauty that God gave me, but it's what can I do to look like the girl on the magazine cover? What can I do to look like the dude on the album cover? What can I do to get people to desire me in that kind of way? And if that's our goal, to become this sexually desirable thing, we're buying into Satan's lie that we're objects, that all we are is we're just objects to please other people, and that's where our worth and value comes from. That's not where our worth and value comes from, and that's not even what God designed those things for. So if you look at the verse, in verse 3, what does he say? He doesn't say, girls, don't worry about any of your outward appearance. Everyone should just, you know go to the 99 cent store and buy the cheapest pair of sweatpants and just wear that every day. And that's all you wear forever and ever, amen. No, he says merely. He says, do not merely care about your outward appearance. You know what that word means? It it means don't make that your only focus. Yeah, you can care about your outward appearance. Don't make it an obsession. Don't make it like what your whole focus of life is. Like, yeah, whatever, care about your outward appearance. But even more so, care about the inward beauty of the heart. So that's what the fourth question is. What does inner beauty look like? He talks about the hidden person of the heart. In the scripture, it just says really clearly, it's the hidden person of the heart. 
Who are you on the inside when no one's looking? Do you have an inner life? Do you talk to the Lord? Do you pray? I love that it says the incorruptible beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. I love that because it's, it's beauty that can never die. It's like no matter how old you get, if you have the Lord in your heart, if you have a gentle and quiet spirit that loves the Lord, then it's incorruptible. Your beauty can never fade. You can't get wrinkles on that beauty, which is awesome. When I think of someone who had that beauty, um, I think of Corey Ten Boom. You know, she's this, how many of you guys have heard of Corey Ten Boom? Any of you guys? This amazing girl who loved the Lord, lived for him. There's, a, there's so many stories about her, but I remember reading in her biography about how she was with a guy thought he was going to marry her, and then he breaks up with her, ditches her over some other girl, gives her a broken heart. Instead of retreating to her room and just crying, I mean, she cried, but I just mean instead of like becoming depressed and just focusing inward and getting reclusive, um, she noticed that her aunt was really sick, and she spent her time at her aunt's bedside taking care of her aunt, loving her aunt, reading the scriptures to her aunt. At the same time, she noticed that her dad was getting old and that he wasn't really able to run his clock shop. And she said, dad, let me help you with the business. And she could have been out socializing with boys and and just trying to go to school, trying to improve herself, trying to get her own career. She actually held back her own life for years to help her family, which is just the whole time, the reason she was able to do that was because she had that quiet and gentle spirit. That just means she had peace. Like, it's that, it's that heart that's not just, what can I do? How can I improve my life? It's about me. It's about bettering myself. It's about just, oh, I gotta, it's all about me, me, me. And it's a heart that just has peace and says, no matter what happens, God is in control. I'm going to do what he tells me to do. Instead of your life always feeling like a storm and you're always stressed out and worried, it's peace. Where it's, it, think about it. What is submission again? It's putting yourself, what? Under. So you look up and you see God and there's stormy waters all around you, but you can always look up and God's that lighthouse in the distance where he points you to where you're supposed to go. When I think of a quiet and gentle spirit, I think of my wife and I think of just the many ways she expresses that. And I I couldn't even write down all of them, but I mean, when I think of her quiet, gentle heart, I think of just the way that she's so willing to cook. Um, and to make amazing meals and, and to clean the house. She works so hard to keep this place clean. I, I chip in a little bit here and there, but I don't know how to deep clean. I don't really know how to do anything. I kind of just know how to push things into a corner so that things are, you know, but she knows how to actually clean and she takes the time to do it and she puts up with me when I make mistakes. She loves the girls in this group so much and cares about them. She's always praying for them and talking to me about just her, how passionate she is about loving them. Um, you guys, I remember when I went to New Zealand on my mission trip, she filled my suitcase with just all these love notes that she hid in the pockets of my clothes and things so I'd find them later. When Brooklyn reads something in our devotions that blesses her, she'll often post it on Instagram or Facebook to bless other people and I'll read it. I'm just like, oh, my wife. Um, and I just think in that verse, if you read it in the, in the passage, it says that quiet and gentle spirit is precious in the sight of God. And it's a heart that is 100% devoted to God with no fear. It's a girl who says the greatest adventure is following Jesus. If Jesus is king, that changes everything. Here's a part where it gets complicated. Here's my fifth question. What if the husband doesn't do the right thing or isn't a Christian? I got a text from one of the girls in the group. I was texting some of the girls and just throwing out this passage. Some of you guys got my text and, you know, I was like, hey, what do you think about these verses? You know, like how do these verses make you feel? And uh, this is one of the responses I got. Um, It was, I think 
when I read that, I agree with it, but only because God tells us to be equally paired with our spouse. So if we're both strong believers, I have faith that things will work out, which I thought was a great response, but I wanna, because um, I think a lot of you guys might, might agree with that. Here's the thing, sometimes things don't end up the way you planned. Sometimes you don't end up equally paired. Uh, we don't live in a fairy tale world where all of you girls are gonna end up with perfect marriages. In fact, you can ask me in Brooklyn and Scott and Amanda and anyone else you know that's married, marriages aren't always often perfect. They come with struggles. So here's different ways that can happen. Maybe you're already married before you come to follow Jesus and you're already married to a non-Christian and then you come to follow Jesus. Or maybe you girls, you'll, you'll be a Christian who chooses to disobey God and you end up in a marriage with a non-Christian. That can happen. In verse one and two, it talks about Christian women being a witness to their unsaved husbands. And that's not approving that Christian girls should go after non-Christian guys. And some of you girls might say, but they're better. The non-Christian guys are better. I think sometimes when I was growing up, the Christian girls that I knew, we'd, we'd find out you know, they were really looking for something outside of the faith because the guys that I knew who were Christians seemed kind of like dorks. So they were looking, for, and I don't know if that was their fault or that was just the way the girls viewed them, but a lot of girls that I knew were looking for somebody who didn't really follow the Lord because they thought it was more exciting. Girls, I just want to tell you what me and Brooklyn, what we pray for you is we pray that God would bring you a guy who loves Jesus. The Bible tells us getting a relationship with somebody who doesn't love Jesus, it's kind of like if you're trying to carry something really heavy and you ask a really scrawny dude to help you carry it and he can't even lift it. Like, that's what it's like. For you guys as Christians, you're called to get somebody who's strong like you and the Lord to walk with you. If you end up with somebody who doesn't love Jesus, if you're trying to put yourself under Jesus and follow him, he is going to drag you down. Here's the thing. These verses, if you read them, it's actually saying, hey, girls, if you're in a relationship with a guy who doesn't love the Lord, if you're married, if you got saved and you were already married and your husband ends up being a non-believer, or maybe you got married and you thought he was a Christian and it turns out he wasn't at all, does that mean you leave him? Does that mean you break up with him? Does that mean you divorce because he's not a Christian and you're supposed to be in this relationship with a Christian? If you're not, you gotta get out of it. No, what it actually says is, actually still put yourself under them. Like, submit to them. Now, what does that mean? Does that mean be their slave, let them abuse you? No, it means, remember what it means back in the original context we talked about, love them more than yourself. Value them, respect them, help them, serve them. You might say, that's crazy. That, well, hey, guess what? That's actually what Jesus did. Think about it. That's what Jesus did. When he came to earth, he became a loving, humble, helpful servant. And who did Jesus do it for? He did it for people who don't even know him, right? So if you, girls, I'm just saying, if you end up getting married to somebody and they end up being who you didn't think they were and they, do, they don't follow Jesus, they don't love him, that doesn't mean it's time to jump ship. It actually means that God has placed you in this relationship to be a missionary and that by loving them and by acting like Jesus, by literally being like Jesus in that relationship, by being a servant, by being humble, by being loving, you can lead that person to Christ. That husband might look at you and go, wow, there's something so different about you than the women in the world. That is amazing. If Jesus is their king, that's, that's changed everything. I wanna follow that Jesus too. There's a woman in our church um, who's a close friend of me in Brooklyn. She used to work at the church with us and she came to know the Lord before her husband got saved. And now she's been walking with the Lord for like 20 years and her husband still doesn't know the Lord. She's never given up on him. 
She keeps praying for him. She keeps inviting him to church. She keeps loving him and pointing to Jesus and, and being humble and, and being a great wife and, and acting like Jesus. I just think that's a great example. So here's the sixth question. What's the deal with the Abraham and Sarah thing? Do I need to call my future husband Lord? Brooklyn has never called me Lord. She's never been like, hello, my Lord. How are you? Um, she's never said that. <laughs> and I don't think she should start. <laughs> I wouldn't, like, I, I would be weird if you called me Lord. I just prefer if you called me Aaron. Or sir. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah, it's always good. Um, in that context, in the culture, Sarah called Abraham master, you know, Lord. It was a cultural thing. Um, it showed that she had a lot of respect for him, but Sarah wasn't his slave. Sarah actually, a lot of times in the Bible, disobeyed and, and sinned and did wrong stuff too. So that wasn't her posture. She was just the slave. You know, she was her own person, but she did view Abraham with respect. Abraham was called by God. God Abraham's living in Ur, this random land called Ur, and God literally comes to him. Abraham had never talked to God before. Our God's name is Yahweh. So think about it. You're Abraham. You're sitting there. Guys, think about it. You're Abraham. You're chilling. All of a sudden, God's like, hey, you've never met me, but I am God. And all the other gods are false, and I'm the only real one. I'd be like, okay, this makes sense because none of the other ones have ever talked to me. So this makes sense. I can follow this one. He actually talks. And then he says, I want you to pick up everything and move. And Abraham's like, where would I go? And God's like, I'll tell you when you get there. Just literally your whole family, your wife, your animals, all this stuff, just, just move. Just go in that direction, and when you get there, I'll tell you. Abraham goes to his wife and says, this is what we're doing. This is what God, who we've never met, told us to do. And she actually went along with it. That's, God looked at that and Sarah and said, that's beautiful. That's amazing. So what, is, what would that look like nowadays? If you're with a friend, telling your friend, I love my husband. I trust him to lead our family. When other girls are talking trash and like, oh, just my husband's crazy. He's trying to do this thing. I don't, I don't agree with him. I don't trust him. Letting them know, hey, I trust the Lord and I trust the way the Lord's leading my husband. Sure, sometimes I don't always agree with him, but I trust that God's leading him. Um, I think maybe involving your husband before you make a big purchase. And that goes the other way. Sometimes I've bought big things without talking to Brooklyn and then I bring it home and she's like, why'd you buy this crazy thing? Like we, don't, we can't even afford that. And I should have talked to her about it. In the same way, it's, it's that love and respect. Does that mean that women can't make decisions without men? Does that mean that women are weak and need a man to do everything for them? No, it's simply one of the frameworks God gives women to reflect his nature inside a marriage. So it's submission to God first. And then God's perfect picture of marriage is a husband loving his wife, laying down his life for her, submitting to God, thinking of her first before he thinks of himself. And for the wife, it's loving her husband, laying down her life for him, following his leadership and submitting to God and thinking of him first before she thinks of herself. So that's a good thing. We can learn from Sarah's success, but we can also learn from Abraham and Sarah's failures. Because think about this. It's not always just blind obedience. Like, I hope that Brooklyn doesn't just always do everything that I say without questioning sometimes. And sometimes, I don't know about you, but uh, whether you're a guy or a girl, when you want to do something and someone questions you, do you like that? 
when your mom or dad or brother or sister or friend, when you're like, oh, I got this great thing I want to do. And they're like, oh, maybe you should rethink that. Who likes that? Who just loves being questioned on what they want to do? No, we don't. When I'll be honest, when Brooklyn questions what I want to do, sometimes I'm like, oh, that just, oh, that gets me. But it's the right thing to do because Sarah made a mistake. Abraham was in Egypt one time with Sarah and Abraham was going to go where Pharaoh was, the ruler of the land. And it's kind of this weird story. I don't want to get too deep in it, but, you know, Sarah's like 80, but apparently she was a really hot 80-year-old, the Bible says. I don't know how this worked back then, but apparently she was so hot, the Bible says, literally, that Abraham was afraid that someone would try to steal her from him and kill him. And then he gets weird, this idea, he says, okay, Sarah, I don't want someone to kill me because you're my wife, so instead you're going to pretend to be my sister. That's the point where she should have been like, I don't know about this, maybe we should pray. She should have questioned him, absolutely. She should have questioned him. That would have been the right thing to do in a marriage. That doesn't mean she's not submitting. That, that just means that she is trying to follow God, and so sometimes when a husband wants to do something that maybe isn't of God, it's the right place for the wife not to say, you're stupid husband, you're an idiot, you're not even a good Christian, what are you doing? But to gently say, hey, husband, I really don't think this is the right idea. Now, in the same way, Abraham had a moment where he should have questioned Sarah, um, it, it goes both ways. Husbands and wives, they're a team that works together. No one is better than the other. They're on equal levels, but they're following God together. And God puts the husband first as the leader in the relationship, but that doesn't mean he's better. It's just the order God did. So the moment where Abraham should have questioned was God told Abraham, you're going to have a son. Well, years went by. They didn't have a son. So Sarah comes to Abraham and says, Abraham, we've been trying to get pregnant. I'm super old. It's probably never going to happen. You should just sleep with this other girl. You should, it's, it's my servant, my maid. Sleep with her. Have a kid with her. Then God will bless that kid and the prophecy will be fulfilled. That should have been the moment where Abraham said, mm, maybe I shouldn't do that. Maybe we should just trust the Lord. Let's pray. Wife, I'm going to challenge what you say because I love the Lord and I think we should focus on the Lord and follow him. Instead, he just goes, that sounds great. I'd love to sleep with your maid. Let's go. And he goes for it. And, and it's, it's wrong. It's sin. What I'm trying to show you is marriage isn't about blind obedience. It's about following God and loving one another enough to point them in the right direction. And I'm so thankful that my wife does that. So I'm going to wrap this up really quick. Here's the word to husbands. That's for the girls. Girls, did that make sense? Yeah. Yeah? Okay. Word to husbands. It's shorter, but not less important. Verse 7. Husbands, likewise, dwell with your wife with understanding giving honor to the wife as the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. So there's also a really bad way to read that. We can read it as men, women sure are complicated, aren't they? Yeah, uh, try your best to be nice to them because they're much weaker than you in every way. We can read it that way, but that's wrong. God has something so much better to say. So let's take a look at it by asking just a few questions for the men. One, what does it mean to dwell with your wife in understanding? Fellas, listen, girls are definitely different than guys. Um, are all girls the same? No. It's, it's not just like, oh, all girls act this way. All girls dress this way. Um, it, you know, there didn't even used to be like boy-girl toy sections. That was something that happened like in the 40s, I think, uh, before it was mixed. And now it's like, at, at some point, everyone decided all boys and girls are the same. Boys like blue, girls like pink, girls are like this, boys are like that. Guys and girls are all individually different and complicated. So to dwell with your wife in understanding, it means understand them. Not like, 
oh, my wife's a woman, so she acts this way, and I just will never understand women, and women are hard to understand. That's how a lot of men are. They, they choose to not try to understand their wives. They just don't want to get involved. They don't want to try. But God has called you guys to one day love your wife so much that you bend over backwards to try to understand her. Brooklyn and I, we have a lot in common. Humor, for one. Do you remember what our first joke was? Can I tell them? We were in Mr. Darcy's house from Pride and Prejudice. And like the first thing... Wait, what? In England? In England. Literally, I think the first thing we really connected on humor-wise was we were looking at all of these like old classic paintings. And we were like, there's a lot of butts in these paintings. (laughs) Like angels, like fat, naked angels floating around. We're just like, yeah, a lot of butts. These people back then had a lot of weird butts in their paintings. And we we thought that was funny. We laughed about it. So humor... A lot of butts. Um, Our first joke was that. Um, We're both passionate about Jesus. We both love missions work and serving and many other things we have in common. We also have things that are different, like the rate we eat food, for instance. Um, My philosophy is if I have a slice of pizza, the bigger the bite, the more flavor I can get. With Brooklyn, it's like I'm going to take the tiniest nibble and I'm just going to take like a year to eat this because I want to savor every little bit. And I'm like, hey, if you just take a little nibble, like you don't even get any sauce or pepperoni. It's just a little slice of cheese and bread. Like that's not the way to do it. Uh, so we're different. Um, like when it comes to video games, I want to play first-person shooters and fantasy games and Star Wars games. And like I, I buy these multiplayer games. I'm like, Brooklyn, let's play these games. I bought this for you so we can play together. And she's just like, I just want to play Mario Kart. I'm like, hey. And it's, the reason is it's the only game that she can beat me in. And so that's just, she just goes for it. And she destroys me every time. Um, Emotion-wise, we're different. And don't jump to conclusions. I cry at literally everything. <laughs> when we're watching movies or listening to music or like, yeah, even listening to music. I've seriously been sitting there and a tiny tear will come out. And she's like, are you crying? And I'm like, no, no. But I do it all the time. Um, the best example of this is, is in our fighting. Yes, we fight sometimes, just so you know. Don't want to shock you. Um, okay. <laughs> I know, like the bad guy. Um, so for, for, me and, for me and Brooklyn, when we were best friends before we were dating, I was, we were best friends for a long time. God told me, don't date her yet. Don't date her yet. I really wanted to. And God was like, just trust me. It's going to be better. You'll lay the groundwork of this amazing friendship. So during the friendship period, we went through what a lot of people go through when they meet really quick and start dating, which is the puppy love uh, time period where you're on your best behavior. That person's perfect. They can do no wrong. They've never done anything wrong. They're, I'm a perfect gentleman. She's a perfect lady. We never disagree. Everything's just amazing and rosy. If, if any of you guys have been in relationships, you know this time period. Then we started dating. And literally, like, we turned satanic. It was weird. Like, do you remember that? We started fighting so much about, like, the dumbest little things. It was, like, the tiniest little things. And we had differences, I'm a verbal processor. You guys know that. You're like, yeah, we know. Stop talking. Um, I'm a verbal processor. I think things through. I overthink them from every angle. Literally, there'd be times we'd get in fights. We'd be driving. It was always when we were driving somewhere. And I'd pull the car over to the side of the road. And I'd spend like 45 minutes going at every angle. Like basically drawing graphs and charts about why I was right. And how she needed to reconsider her position. And just all this stuff. And then I'd get done. I'm like, now what do you think? I want to hear your side. I was actually like, it was almost like, like I enjoyed the debate aspect. And I wasn't even mad at her anymore. I just wanted to like discuss this issue with her. And she would just look at me and be like, I got nothing. <laughs> and it would infuriate me. Because it would be like, you have to have something. I just gave you so much material to work with. She's like, 
I forgot what you said after the first like five minutes. And I'm like, ah. And what I had, now, now listen, I could have just been like, well, we're different and we'll always be different. That's how things are going to be. She's weird. I'm right. Oh, like men are from Mars. Women are from Venus. Or like I could have been like, you know, whatever. <laughs> it's an old expression. Ask your parents. Um, and so anyway, I, we could have just done that. But I, this is actually the verse I came to. Men dwell with your wife in understanding. And God called me. He's like, Aaron, you are way different than her when it comes to communicating. You have to step into her mind, her thought process, and, and think like her. And when I did that, I realized when we get in fights, like she wants some time to like think and pray and not have to deal with my stupid voice talking to her for a little bit. And, and I need some time to go get with the Lord and pray and throw away all that junk that I want to say and just focus on what God has for me. And when we started doing that, it changed everything. It was like we were like, OK, Jesus is king. That changes how we communicate. And I'm glad to say, I mean, we still get in disagreements from time to time, but it's nowhere like it used to be. And we get in disagreements and we talk it out, we pray it out, and then we're done. And we don't go to bed angry at each other and we love each other. And like, our marriage is doing great. I'll just tell you that. Like we love each other passionately and, and, and we're, we're not willing to let differences get in the way of that. So guys, your quest is to learn more about your wife. How can you do that now? Ask God to help you understand the girls in your life. Your moms, your sisters, your friends. Don't just say, man, all girls are crazy, right guys? Instead, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah, dudes understand dudes. We know how we think. You have an opportunity now to lay down your life and say, you know what? Even though I think my mom is crazy right now, I am going to pray really hard until God helps me understand where she's coming from. God has called you to work hard to understand the differences between the girls and you and your life. The second question is, what does it mean to give honor to the wife? This is kind of where I want to wrap up. What does it mean to give honor to the wife? Um, society has kind of trained us to kind of view women as just like objects for men. That's how a lot of guys view girls. And it's, it's wrong. God calls us to delight in our sisters in Christ. What that means as a guy now is not check out all the girls. Just check them out physically. Just delight in them. No, like that's, that's gross. Don't do that. Um, fight natural urges to check out every girl in your vicinity and instead become their friends. Like sit down and talk to them. Not with the motive of, maybe this girl's going to date me. I'm going to talk to her because maybe she'll date me. And then when you find out she's not interested, you move on to the next girl and you talk to her. Like a lot of guys view girls as literally just a conquest. And if there's no interest or no potential of relationship or dating or sex or any of that stuff, they just don't care. Instead, have relationships. Like these, the girls in your life are your sisters in Christ. And God has called you to get to know them. Like to actually appreciate them, to have conversations with them and talk about the Lord together and, and be interested in them in a, as, as a person, not as an object. And if you can do that, if you can love the girls in your life in that way, you're going to be able to love your wife so much more because your wife is not just, she's not just an object. That's not the point of marriage. Like physical stuff, that is a blessing in marriage, but that's not the purpose. And for, for me in Brooklyn, I can say for us, I am so excited to continue to get to know her better. Um, there's so many more things I want to know about you, so many things I still don't understand, and I want to keep finding out, and I, I love it. It's, it's a constant quest to grow deeper in our friendship. There's a verse in there that says, 
women should be honored as the weaker vessel, okay? That verse has been used to say women are weak. You know, women are the weaker vessel. Sam's not his head. Um, <laughs> just messing with you. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it, it's something that we, it's natural, you know, for us to not it. Um, because that's what culture tells us. But hey, listen, listen, check this out. Here's something that we need to realize. I was on Instagram the other day. And, yeah, I was. And um, there was a video of someone that I knew bench pressing 200 pounds. This person's name was Ashley. I went to school with her. Um, She is a friend of mine. I cannot bench press 200 pounds. So is the Bible lying when it says that women are the weaker vessel and there's this girl who can bench press more than me? Like, what does that say? Like... Am I interpreting the Bible wrong? If we look at the verse and all we get is just, yeah, women are weaker, then, yeah, that's, that's wrong. Um, check this out, okay? So, what's a vessel? Shift. In pottery, what's a vessel? It's something that holds something. It's a vase, a pot, something, that meant to be, something that's meant to be filled. We're all vessels. The Bible says it. We're holy vessels set apart for God to be filled with the Spirit to do great things. In pottery, in these times that Paul or that Peter's talking about, the thicker vessels, the, the vessels that are just normal clay, just pots to be filled with water, they're not that expensive. They're not that valuable. But the finer vessel, would, it would have been made of weaker, thinner material, but it would have been way more valuable, way more precious, way more expensive. When the Bible talks about women as the weaker vessel, it's not, it doesn't actually say women are weaker. It doesn't say a woman is weaker. It says, honor the woman as the weaker vessel. It's a simile. If you guys don't know what that means from grammar, it's like when Jesus says, I will lead you as a sheep. Does that mean that you need to go put on wool and like go ba? It's not saying you literally are a sheep. It's saying, I'm going to lead you as a sheep. So what this verse is really saying, and I really thought hard about this and prayed about this today, for the guys, it's not saying, yeah, women are weak, and you know, they need you to, you know, just, they can't do anything without a man. It's saying that in your heart, just like we've been saying this whole time, esteem others as greater than yourself. You look at a girl and you say, she's more valuable than me. She's more precious than me. She is just amazing, and I'm going to protect her, and I'm going to guide her and guard her and love her and take care of her. That's, what, that's, all, that's all it's saying. It's, it's honor the woman as a weaker vessel. It's not saying she is weak. Women are strong a lot of times. My wife, in a lot of ways, is stronger than me. And I'm so thankful for that because she balances me up and completes me. So I hope that this has been encouraging. And I hope we can have some stuff to talk about. Lord, we love you. God, thank you so much that you design marriage and that you love marriage. It's something that blesses your heart. And I know for all these kids, for all these students, they've come from different backgrounds. Maybe some of them have parents who love the Lord and have marriages that are perfect, great examples of this. And maybe some of them come from more shaky situations. And maybe these type of verses have been confusing for them. I pray that tonight through your spirit that, God, that you've spoken. I pray, Lord, that you would imprint in us just 
the truths of your word. God, later on in this chapter, you say just very simply that girls are inheritors, equal inheritors of your grace, of your gospel. Lord, I pray that for this group, we would view each other as equals. Guys, girls, men, women, we'd view each other as equal inheritors of your grace, equal partners in the kingdom of God, equal partners in the gospel. I pray for the young men in this group that they would realize that girls in their life are not objects for them to seek after and conquest and win and then use however they want, but that a girl is, is a precious jewel from the Lord, a gift to be given to a son. And the father says, take care of this, protect it, steward it. Don't let it get dirty, protect its purity, protect its heart. I pray that for the girls in this group that they wouldn't be tripped up when they hear Bible verses about submitting, but realize what submission actually looks like. Um, that it starts first with following God, that men are called to submit to God as the absolute leader, and that women are called to submit to God as the absolute leader. Help us to understand that submission looks like following you together as a team, as equals. I pray, God, that you would help us through your spirit to know these things with all our heart. We love you, God, and we ask this in your name. Amen. 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 Thanks for listening, guys.